Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. I always found the female form to be very attractive, but who who doesn't? The male gaze permeates our society. My anthropology degree got in the way of my coming out process. <laughs> I'm diking out, you're diking out. Let's dike out together. See what it's all about. Diking out, diking out, diking out, diking out. Hi, and welcome to Diking Out, a podcast that's more fun than a jar of farts. I'm Carolyn Bergier. I'm Melody Kamali, and today we're diking out with comedian Janet Hyde about queer imposter syndrome. If you want to hear more about jars of farts, please join our Patreon, where we are going in-depth uh, on why we are talking about jars of farts. Many of you have seen the headlines, but yeah. we're, we're digging in and blowing out. After this episode, you'll you'll want to know because we reference it in the yes. interview. So we'll smell you later <laughs> over there. <laughs> Patreon.com slash diking out. Also, if you haven't already, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find us. And that is that for announcements. January 31st, I guess, tentatively save the date yeah. for a Stonewall show. We're hoping to have. Let's see. It would be Let's nice. All- Let's all get boosted and have that Stonewall show. Carolyn. Yeah. You go first. Okay. Okay. What's the gayest thing you did this week? Well, it was since we last talked, my birthday. And for Happy my birthday. birthday. Thank you. Thank you. I went to a show on my birthday in Brooklyn that I had heard a lot of great things about. And heard about from lesbians. So that's a, an added layer of gay. And yeah. it's called a Nutcracker Rouge. And I guess it's been going on for a while, but it's basically the Nutcracker meets Moulin Rouge. Like, not Moulin Rouge in the movie, but like the actual Moulin Rouge. So it's right. like burlesque cabaret meets nutcracker it's like very sexy it's fun there are like crazy acrobatics and physical feats that you're like oh my god it it was mesmerizing uh watching this yeah i looked it up after we talked about it wish i'd gone looks cool it's I mean, I think they're there until the end of the month and oh, okay. uh, and I think they have rush tickets too. So if you don't want to pay as much, you can get in on the rush I never tickets. Do. Right. And I bought tickets, I hate buying tickets full price, but because it was my birthday and, and that was like the thing I was doing, 
we got our tickets in advance, but it was worth it. And I have to say that, it, I mean, they, they are scantily clad, but the men were so beautiful. It was just like male ballet dancer. They were just like tall and muscular and the way that I was just like, I've never wanted to stare at men this much for, for hours. And I'm so you hypnotized. get it. So yeah. you get it. And I now it you now. know why center stage, that movie was <gasps> a huge uh... <laughs> formative bisexual movie for me. Yeah. I was attracted to everyone in it. I, yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, one of my favorite things uh, about it was that there was this one guy this shouldn't be one of my favorite things, but um, body completely free of tattoos, except one, <laughs> one tattoo on his body. Um, I would say maybe five, five inches tall on his thigh. Gumby. What a choice. Gumby. <laughs> I love Gumby. I like, I love that this guy like I see I see Gumby on a sleeve. I see if you have a lot of tattoos and Gumby is one of them. Great. Oh, but to be like, God. my body is my temple. But I love Gumby so much that I um, want him on here forever. <laughs> Gumby's you know queer. I, I just had to look up Gumby queer just because I'm like, what is the story? Like, why would someone choose that? And the first hit is Urban Dictionary. A term used for a male homosexual in prison. Oh, well, maybe there's yeah. more of a backstory on this. <laughs> maybe or they just really liked the stop motion claymation, whatever. Um, yeah, Gumby was. That's I, great. You know, I, I recommend it. It was a, a great show. Cecilia and I very much enjoyed it. And another honorable mention for gayest thing. I will say I had one of the gayest dreams I've had in a while. And I know talking about dreams is boring, but because it is diking out and it is Rosie O'Donnell, I had a dream that I was like in a bed with Rosie, like nothing sexual, but we are kind of like, like cozied up next to each other. And she was like, tell me what you like about me again. And then the dream is just me complimenting Rosie O'Donnell for like 10 minutes straight and just listing off like what she means to me and everything. And that was the dream. And I woke up and I'm like, oh, my God, I need help. It's on brand. So on that note, what's the gayest thing that you did or did? I do have to say, I mean, obviously I spent a lot of time on TikTok recovering from COVID. Um, yeah. And I don't, I feel like we had a ripple effect in the sapphic community with like rosy standum. Like I'm just seeing yeah. like more young TikTokers <laughs> talking about like, I literally saw one about a girl talking about how she had a dream about Rosie O'Donnell, first of all, um, a lesbian. And I don't, I'm just seeing it pop up more and more. And I'm like, did we play a hand? <laughs> I hope I get so. over myself? Um, no, I hope so. I hope, <laughs> I hope yeah. we ignited that flame. Yeah. A huge episode. We did put out that Instagram. What's your favorite episode? A lot of answers for Rosie and then Rosie. a lot of answers for birding, which makes sense. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Birding. Um, also both Tampa Bay episodes. Um, yeah. and then our bi culture 
episode. Yeah, and that Jenna was Lyons huge. got a few too. So yeah. that was okay. we didn't get to repost them all, but in case you guys were curious. But let's get to your gay thing. My gay thing. Um, you know, everything's shutting down. Uh, a lot of shows canceled. Um, I'm back to my little mental health walks, leaving the apartment for that and that alone a lot. Um, <laughs> so obviously listening to music, listening to podcasts, I listened to a lot of Whitney Houston and then I typed in Whitney Houston into Spotify and then I found a podcast I actually like, but haven't listened to in a long time. It's been a minute with Sam Sanders. It's like a NPR okay. podcast. Yeah. He's queer. He has a lot of, um, like black artists, academics on the podcast. And this episode, after I'd listened to so much Whitney Houston, was a recent episode where he did a deep dive and broke down the 1991 na national anthem, which wow. I always knew was important and yeah. just like legendary. Like um, it was played on the radio. It was like ripped off yeah like and just like played as a single like it was so huge in the 90s but um he had danielle smith on who's the host of black girl songbook um and has written at length about the importance of whitney houston's national anthem and just like we broke it down so thoroughly that i just started to cry <laughs> and that could be because of a Many things. We're coming up on the 10 year anniversary of Whitney Houston passing yes, away. That'll be in are. February, February 11th. Mm -hmm. Mark that. You day. know how much I love Whitney. You love Whitney. It is yes. the reason like we've come together and yeah. you brought me on as a co-host. It is part it of is. our origin story. We love Whitney so much. Um, that felt pretty gay. Um, I've been listening to that rendition a lot lately. Yeah. <sighs> I love her so much. Um, I'm going to have to listen to that podcast. And it's really good. Weirdly, yesterday I recorded just a, a soundbite that I think is going to be used on another podcast. And they were asking for people to talk about like the celebrity death that affected them the most. So literally yesterday I was talking about oh. Whitney Houston's passing yeah. <laughs> for this other pod. Yeah, it's uh, I get it. Yeah. So impactful. So queer. Yes. But we've talked about that enough. Um, <laughs> otherwise, I have to mention, honorable mention, gayest thing to um, responding to every listener who has reached out, almost every, I think there's still more I need to respond to. Yes, I have seen the Queer Eye season six, episode one feature on the Broken Spoke and Tammy, um, who ran the two-step dance classes that I talked about on this podcast that was yes. released, I think, a week before Yeah, that got so much attention. Like, season six takes place in Austin, Texas, where I was trapped with COVID. Yeah. One of the last things I did, as I had mentioned, was go to the Broken Spoke. And I was, I just listened back to that episode, which is, again, huge for me. Um, I always tell you, I can't listen to myself on this thing. I really <laughs> cringe so hard when I have to listen to me on any podcast, but I, I did just to see what I said. And you can tell that the COVID is in my system at this point. I know I was like, Allie just tested negative and I'm not. But you were like, speaking through a mask. I was speaking <laughs> through two masks yeah. in a hotel room, starting to feel a little wonky. And I, when I'm feeling a little like anxious, it affects everything. And I'm listening to myself 
anxiously try to be like diplomatic about my experience there and yeah. like I didn't want to offend anyone but now I'm here to like offend the broken spoke like fuck that place it could because people have reached out there are queer TikTokers talking about this. Like people are coming out of the woodwork because she is the first hero. They call them the people that they make over. Yeah. And it was, they had filmed one episode before um, March, 2020 lockdown. And it makes sense because there's no way they would have filmed there afterwards. Because when I went there, they were, they're very anti-mask there. Like, I don't know if I told you, I, um, they didn't check our vaccines. They told us to put that away when we brought out our cards um, and didn't look at it. And I was uh, the only one wearing a mask like the entire time we're there because I I didn't say this on the episode, but I had taken an edible before we went there. (laughs) I had a panic attack there because I've never been in a place with such bad vibes. And it's so funny that these like viral, a lot of like lesbians or non-binary people are making TikToks about their uncomfortable experiences at the Broken Spoke because this dance instructor doesn't teach like she just really roasts people like she sees it as her own like stand-up comedy concert to borrow from and just like that um and she just will pick on people and i've heard from austinites have reached out since um our episode came out and then the queer eye episode came out that that establishment has kicked out lesbians for kissing now i know why ali and i were getting bad looks but not just us like when we were dancing we got death stares ever maynard just existing in that space was getting evil eyes from every angle um had a bad experience trying to use the restroom there um they suck like they're racist they're very homophobic uh have to imagine they're all the other phobics like they they're they're bad people (laughs) and we went allegedly allegedly Allegedly. don't get the lawyers after us Okay, allegedly i implore you again to look at their yelp reviews or look at uh, i don't search broken spoke on tiktok because people are starting to speak out because it is so mind-blowing that the producers for this inclusive queer safe space quote unquote of a show what line producer didn't do a cursory Google search right. on this place? Like why feature that woman? You know, yeah. is it because they knew there'd be this backlash and people running to the episode or like what's happening? Cause that's crazy. It was an upsetting experience. Eventually I did have to drink to loosen up. And then I started to like have fun and try to just forget about all the like stairs and dance. Don't go to the broken spoke. It fucking sucks. And now I can be honest about it. Great. Uh, <laughs> So yes, everyone, I've seen the episode. Fuck Tammy. Wow. Now I now I kind of want to watch. I'm, I'm not know. a big queer eye watcher, but um watch we're what? here instead on HBO. Yes, yes, as we discuss in this interview. Today we are diking out with our friend Janet Hyde about queer imposter syndrome. Janet is a New York City-based comedian whose now weekly show, Female Comedians with Tits, has been running at Tip Top Bar and Grill for six years. Let's get to it. Janet 
what a pleasure to be diking out with you today. We're doing it finally. Hey, Janet. It's a total honor to be diking out with you, if I'm allowed to say that, as we will discuss later. We (laughs) sure will. Yes, yes. I filed the paperwork ahead of time, so it should be in the system. You're approved. You're allowed to say it. I'm blushing. I'm fully blushing right now. (laughs) This is perfect. This is how deep the queer imposter syndrome goes. (laughs) I also love that whenever we interview somebody that we know IRL, I'm like, finally. But it's like, <laughs> because like we have this long list of just all the queer people we know. And but just like the way that booking happens, I don't know. So it always seems crazy that like, yeah, we've known each other for years. And this for is years. episode 218. Um, hey. And here you are. <laughs> here I am. I mean, to be honest, for all of those years you knew me, I don't know that I would have made it on the queer list. So I think it's it's appropriate. The first years you didn't. And then I remember when you're like, all right, dip in the toes. I can, I can be on these shows now. Invite yeah, me to yeah. those, Yeah. Please. I wasn't sure if you were queer or not when you had major queer vibes and we went to uh, Reese Beach like before the pandemic. This is all helping the imposter syndrome. Queer <laughs> vibes. She loves it. <laughs> we Remember like, you were like topless. We were at like the queer beach. Yeah. Uh, Mara was there. Yeah. I think at that point I was very much Anytime that I was topless at Reese Beach, I was officially on the team. Yeah, um, that's what it <laughs> but there was definitely, I have had comedians. In fact, like my whole queer arc, you know, I started comedy as a, you know, straight woman in air quotes. I had jokes about like, it's not a choice because if it is, you know, we we'll that. <laughs> I remember that joke. So I rolly to imagine to think of myself saying these things. It's like what a cliche. Um, but I have been told by certain queer comedian arbiters that were like, "Oh yeah, we had you pegged. We had you pegged, and then you came out, and like what justification?" So I'm delighted <laughs> to hear that I was putting out those vibes. Before we get into anything, should we ask the question? I think we should ask the question. Janet, what is the gayest thing you did this week? Okay, so I was nervous knowing I was going to be asked this question because I, again, prefacing the topic too much, I'm like, what do I, do I get to decide if something's gay? I don't know if it's gay. <laughs> um, uh, my fiance and I were on our phones in separate rooms and I started to feel sad that we hadn't had enough human connection, even though we had that we live alone and both work from home and have just like been in the same apartment all of the time, spent all of our time together for weeks. Separate rooms in New York. That's a brag. <laughs> well, yeah, we have a two room <laughs> apartment. So we were in our, each in our own room, in yeah. the two rooms, not two bedrooms, just okay. they were in the bedroom and I was in a living room. You have a wall. <laughs> we That's... have a wall. Okay. We have great. a couple of doors. Okay. Um, so I like scurried over to them and was like, Hey, like what's, what's up? And you want to talk? And they were annoyed that I interrupted their TikTok scrolling. And then, <laughs> then we just like held hands and like processed my feelings about like how ridiculous it was uh, while we watched our cat. Uh, so we were holding <laughs> wow. hands, watching our cat, processing my feelings for, you know, 20, 30 minutes. So that was very gay. gay. Yes. So gay. We've also been watching a lot of We're Here, the, the oh, I you love know, it. drag queen yeah. redemption story. And that's not the right word, but um, <laughs> just like sobbing at people's journeys. Yeah. So yeah. that's also been pretty gay. Yeah. Love that show. That's the new Queer Eye for me. 
Yeah, that's no, what I've replaced Queer Eye with. Fantastic. I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> <gasps> yeah, we like started it recently and have just been burning through it. And it's just like so tear jerky, but in the best way possible. Yeah. Your show that you do, your weekly show is actually, that's where Melody and I oh, met. Yeah. You told me this and I love this detail so much. Thank you for your hand in our origin story. I, I can't believe yeah. that I have a piece in it, but I'm so delighted. Wow. I completely forgot. And thank you for putting me ahead of Melody in the lineup because no thanks. If there's if there's another queer woman, I'm like, oh no, we're gonna have similar jokes and I'm gonna have to, you know, swap yeah. some material out and we're doing this for tapes and I don't want to do that. What uh, a nightmare. And I went first and Melody was like that pink haired bitch. Yeah. <laughs> she took my bit about having pink hair. God yeah. damn it. <laughs> and I got to get all my Persian material in. I'm like, thank God. <laughs> what a relief. Yeah, your show. Weekly, bi-weekly. Well, it started as a monthly. And now that we've been back after the pandemic pause, we've been doing it as a weekly. So Thursdays. At Tip Top. At Tip Top Bar and Grill, Franklin Ave in Brooklyn. Best dive bar in Brooklyn, if you ask me. But yeah, the full name of the show, Female Comedians, parenthetical, with tits, exclamation point. (laughs) Which Mary and I just thought was like a funny name because I think that the term female comedian is obnoxious. I always have. Um, So I try to say like woman comedian often, even though that's not grammatically, grammatically awesome. Right. But just, I, I think it's funny to talk about tits. It's not meant to be exclusive. We are two female comedians. We both have tits. That's what we decided to name our dumb show. And we've been doing the show for six years. So it's it's a long standing dumb show name. Yeah. <laughs> Lately, like Mary particularly is a little bit more active on Twitter and was like catching some flack from people being like, and it's never been a female only show at all. Like ever. Right. We've always had people of all types on the show. Right. Very diverse every time I've done it. Yeah. yeah. It's we are like, in fact, that is like our number one priority is to have as diverse a lineup as we can in every show. That's always been our priority. We haven't like advertised it as such, but like we used to have a no more than one white man on a show rule. And like right. anyway, we made a point for it to be a very diverse show. Yeah. And it's just a dumb name. And like, I mean, it's understandable for people to ask the question, but like, I do struggle. I'm like, it's a dumb name. I'm not saying every female comedian has tits. That's not at all what we're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not too unsimilar from, and Melody and I were talking about this recently, that the Diking Out logo has two female symbols in it. I proposed a rebrand anticipating backlash that hasn't happened yet right we're, we're like it doesn't make it seem too suspect but i'm like no no we have two co-hosts who are both cis and female right. so and our guests are not right that <laughs> you know yeah yeah exclusively so that doesn't mean like okay it means for the co-hosts like right. that's what we are but we're not pushing that on anyone and i think we're allowed to have that like I don't, think you're allowed to have that. I, I it's so it's the same thing. If you and Mary identify as female comedians with <laughs> right. tits, uh, you know that's yeah, you're allowed that's a, to. just a fun yeah. and flirty name. It's, it's not yeah. that deep. All right, exactly. That's me. It's not that deep. It's like silly, and it's not. I, I don't. I think that that excuse of like it's just a joke or it doesn't mean anything is tired in a lot of ways. But like this is not 
targeting anyone. It's just, it, it is its own little thing. That's not like going after some other group in some right. way. Um, yeah. I just really feel very comfortable having, having a non-binary partner makes me feel extra comfortable. Like this is just a dumb name and it's not hurting yeah. anybody, yeah. but I uh, do enjoy needling my co-host Mary a little bit about it. Cause like it came up and she asked me and she was sort of flustered about like, is there any merit to this? Like, should I be worried about this? And right. I was just like, thought it was all very funny and like to, you know, in our intro, we have a hilarious, but classically awkward banter between the two of us, even though we are friends of six plus years, <laughs> yeah. cannot speak to each other without it sounding ridiculous. Um, but I just really like to like call her homophobic and and you know <laughs> draw attention to all her like not a hundred percent comfort with every nuance of these issues, right? Because I'm, right. I'm a mean spirited person, I guess. Same. <laughs> yeah, I I also I joined a show that like somebody else. It was Amber Rollo actually had a show that she wanted to do. It was one neighborhood over from mine, and she's like, "Oh, would you want to be a producer on it?" And like help host, I'm like sure. And I didn't have any say in the naming of it, the branding, any. It was all her, and it was called something like the like she woman man hater club show. So mm -hmm. like yeah, the one thing was like no cis men on the lineup, and then uh you know I didn't love the name, but it's like okay, this is like a fun little show we're doing. And then I remember seeing a a tweet by just Tom and I'm paraphrasing it here but the tweet was something like women comedians will be like this show is inclusive to to trans people it's called the vagina clit <laughs> like <laughs> I mean, like something like just so focused on like anatomy like female yeah. anatomy you know and we're like right. but we're inclusive of non-binary people and they're like okay and I'm like yes drag us just Tom please <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I certainly my show title, who knows, maybe my show is what inspired that tweet. I hope not. But no, no, I think I think it was our it, <laughs> it was like the week after they were booked on it. Yeah. I see, I see, I see. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think that there's there's a difference in shows that actually have like the ethos is booking certain types of comedians or yeah. like, or like making it a safe space or whatever they, they should be held to maybe a different standard, but right, yeah. right, right. And we have, we've got a lot of dudes on our dumb show and a lot, <laughs> and, you know, and, and every other, you know, and non-binary comedians and, you know, queer comedians, and it's just like, come on, who doesn't want to talk about titties? Fine. Yeah, I love your show. Yeah. What I appreciate is that I think that you and Mary have a discerning taste when it comes to male comedians so like sure. <laughs> whenever they're on the line there's like nobody where I'm like oh no not this asshole I'm like yeah. oh I really actually like this guy like he's funny <laughs> for sure we try to yeah. we try to have a high standard <laughs> yeah okay. um but yeah it's it's a fun it's a fun little show if you're in Bed-Stuy you should stop by yes yeah. for sure well let's get into our topic queer imposter syndrome I know nothing about it has always <laughs> been the poster child for queerness always felt comfortable no um <laughs> I mean I would take that at face value and be like yeah sure that makes sense me too <laughs> it's like you came out in high school and I know I'm like getting in like one of the reasons why this thinking is so toxic because it shouldn't 
be in relation to like when you came out, like how much right. a part of the community you feel. So I just immediately right. played into that. Um. <laughs> I think as the resident lesbian here, I'm going to like right away admit that I think we lesbians are responsible for fueling a lot of queer imposter <laughs> syndrome yeah you are the gatekeepers because, yeah yes. we're the gatekeepers we're terrifying like I was terrified of lesbians forever I'm just like they are so scary so I would feel actually like oh I'm maybe I'm not lesbian enough and actually starting the podcast like gave me imposter syndrome because I went into it just being like oh I've had my fingers in women since I was 17 yeah. so I'm like <laughs> gay and I know everything about being gay and then like immediately was so humbled that I'm like oh I actually know nothing there are so many queer people that know so much more there are so many people that like don't even I don't know like I felt sometimes like I think there are straight people who know more about like queer <laughs> culture than me like what is who am I to have this podcast but um so so I think it's not exclusive to queer by pan folks but that i would say the majority of people who feel that do fall into those categories i think which so is why you pitched it so let's get into <laughs> it yeah for sure i mean <laughs> it's, this is where i give my thesis on queer imposter mm -hmm, syndrome mm -hmm, or yes <laughs> <laughs> so i came out at like i was 31 i think my experience was so, sort of a like i realized it myself like i i I used to have jokes, like I've always had queer friends. I've always been an ally in a way that I was self-conscious of. I'm like, well, obviously the coolest people are the gay people and I want to be friends with them. And like, I am friends with them, but I, I don't want to be one of those allies that's over inserting myself and like trying to hang out <laughs> too much and just looking back, there's a lot of signs. Uh, I don't want to be the ally that's just trying to fuck them. Uh, okay. <laughs> and so I think looking back on it, I didn't realize sooner because I, I had plenty of like gay male friends, but I didn't have a lot of female bodied queer people in my life. So I never had like the flirty stuff. Like I never really, or get, and because I'm bi, like I was attracted to men and was flirting with men and, you know, dating men. but. I always found the female form to be very attractive, but who, who doesn't the male gaze permeates right. our society. My anthropology right. degree got in the way of my coming out <laughs> process. So I'm just like, Oh, I'm socially conditioned to like think titties are great. Right. And everybody must think them. I think we can also blame straight women too uh, for this because straight women will very much be like touching their friends breasts. Like, you know, being in the bathroom together for like long amounts of time, like being naked around sure. each other, like making out with each other when they're drunk. So like any feelings that you have that are like, oh, yeah, I would love to see my friend naked. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're like, that's what we do as straight women. Right. You know, <laughs> like, that's well, like, for instance, um, my freshman year of college, I had a moment where I was like one of a friends from a group I was in was friends with my RA. And so I was hanging out in my RA's dorm room with all Sick. of these like upperclassmen, mostly queer women. And I showed them my boobs, which I used to love to do all the time because I have <laughs> inverted nipples. So I'd be like, want to see what that looks like? Here you go. <laughs> um, and people were receptive to it. And I got like an applause for my tits. At, like and that's like and I was like oh I'm so proud that the lesbians think my boobs are good looking and it's like <laughs> the, 
again, a, a decade before I came out of the closet that happened. I just, anyway, there's a lot there, but I came out. I like realized I had a crush on someone. I'm like, Oh, I have a sexual crush on this, on this like pretty femme person. Maybe this means something. And then sort of realized like, Oh yeah. Okay. And so I just started dating. I opened my apps to everybody and just started going on dates and realized like, Oh, it's, it feels exactly the same. And in some ways that was hard because, you know, I went on dates with a few women that I like felt no sexual chemistry with no attraction with. And I was like, wait, what am I faking? I don't feel, and I was like, Oh, right. I don't want to like fuck every dude out there, obviously <laughs> like, right, right. exactly the same. Like, and so it's like, really fully internalizing and being like, yep, I'm not faking. This is, this isn't a bid for attention. Like this is a true thing about myself. I'm not just trying to be hanging with the cool kids. But in some ways I was like, so excited. I'm like, Oh, I get to be queer. (laughs) Cause in some ways it's something I had like wanted if I, even if I didn't realize that that's something like I wanted. Right. So it's very convoluted. And so I like felt pretty comfortable but I had just not had a lot of time in queer spaces. And I was like already a grown up, you know? So it's like, right. I'm already, I already have a social structure. I already have my identity pretty set. I don't think I'm going to, I'm not going to like fully throw myself into something new. And like, not that I don't, haven't been in queer spaces or have queer friends, but I just like, because I don't have some of like the cred of like this experience, that experience, the other experience, I'm right. sort of like, the word dyke is something that I've like really roiled with. Like, am I, can I say it? Can I say it playfully? Can I quote somebody else saying it? Like, would I ever refer to myself as such? Like, because I've never been, you know, nobody's ever hurled that at me as like an epithet. Nobody's ever like called me a dyke in a mean voice. So I feel like I haven't earned the ability to, I, which is like, how fucked up is that? That I'm like, oh, I've internalized that the yeah. only way to be a queer person is to have been horrifyingly discriminated against Correct. like that's yes. the, that's the headline like that's so fucked up but I right. still kind of have that like but there are a lot of people who have said that and uh especially like by women I know and by women that we've had on the podcast and they're like yeah I feel like very comfortable using the word dyke because it was hurled at me and I'm like well that shouldn't be right so the point I'm- of entry <laughs> <laughs> being gay queer what pan it it doesn't need to be associated with pain anymore and the people (laughs) who get most bothered by like me a bisexual using the word dyke are usually younger people who are born into a society that is more and more welcoming and less like and less painful but yet gatekeep it and use that as a reason like in our emails and comment sections whatever right (laughs) that it's harmful for me to use it because I don't have that painful history with it but it's like which like it's a weird thing it's like like, if you suffered more you (laughs) could use this and I'm like but didn't we reclaim it so to take the the sting out of it yeah so to make it like a fun word that we you know put into like portmanteaus now and whatever (laughs) and have fun with it and why does it have to be like you're not oppressed enough like you better you know go to Oklahoma and have somebody (sighs) scream dyke out of a pickup then you can use it like what do you want that for me like So I've yeah. been trying to almost like low key like, force myself, not force myself, but like push myself to use words, you know, to use the word dyke or, or similar, whatever, to just be like, bike. yeah, I can, 
I, I'm allowed. Like, okay, here I am. Like, yeah, I, I bought a Dyke Beer t-shirt and I'll wear it. Sure. Yes. You know, like <laughs> I feel like Dyke Beer is doing the, the work to um allow more people to use the word dyke and feel comfortable with it. You gotta you, order you, you it. You can't be name. like, can I have a, a D slur beer? Like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was the last time I saw you. You and your partner were drinking Dyke beers at Henrietta Hudson. Come were on, baby. You is queer. Were you? Or was I? I'm not sure. Just, Maybe all of you by somebody. But no, that was a very, yeah, no, that was an incredibly gay night where we went. I had never been there before. And so I was like, I want to do this. And like, I know the host and how cool is that? And then we got yeah. there and it was like too loud. We can't hear the episode. <laughs> we went home immediately. Yeah. So, basically travel to Manhattan just to say hello to you too. Yeah, it was such a commute. I felt so guilty, but that is actually the gayest thing you can do at a lesbian bar. Leave because it's too noisy noisy. with your partner. Yeah, so I felt very, very uh, vindicated by having that that journey for myself. Good. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. So that brings me to a question I want to ask about queer imposter syndrome. Is a big part of it uh, that 
when you're in a space with queer people that you just do not get the references and you feel like, oh, God, I guess I have to watch The L Word. Like, not really. I, okay. I mean, yeah. my fiance forced me to watch The L Word. So I okay. caught up on that. So I go. get all the references. So what um, does trigger it? <laughs> it's, yeah. I mean, on an early date, when I, so, you know, I, with all my first like same sex dates, I felt, uh, compulsively necessary to overshare how new I was. And like, I knew mm. I, it wasn't the right thing to do. I knew it was going to kill the vibe, but I just like, I am an overshare. I do stand up. I like want to tell all the dirty bits. And so I would like disclose that in a way that I, you know, didn't do great things for the date. And so there was on one day and it wasn't like, we were having a perfectly nice conversation. There was no chemistry to speak of, but I mentioned that I was new. And by new, I had been like going on dates with women. I had already fucked someone. Like it wasn't like this was my first queer date. Right. Um, but I was, you know, like a year ish in But mind you, I'm still like a 32 year old woman. It's not like I'm like an immature person. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned that I was new and she, sort of kindly, but I, the, the long, in retrospect, I'm still so annoyed by it. She's like, I'm just sorry. I'm just really looking for another grizzled lesbian. And like, another what? Grizzled, grizzled lesbian. lesbian. <laughs> the term that she used. <laughs> and the way that she's like, she had been out forever and like, just wanted to be with another, like very well experienced lesbian, which fine. That's your prerogative. But like, she, she like, we didn't even get a second round. Like, like it was very much like the date ended because she was like, sorry. And I'm like, I mean, I like laughed it off and it was fine, but I was like, so pissed that I'm like, how do you, like, I'm a fucking catch. Like, how dare you right. dismiss me out of hand? Because, and also it's like, how am I supposed to get queer experience if none of these lesbians will fuck me? Like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. It's a real and, catch 22. Right. And so I felt that really intensely, like that was the most pointed example of it. But there were other times where it was like similar that I was just like, here I am. Like, try, like I was the, another early date, like our first date, we went out, we had good conversation, but it like, wasn't necessarily super romantic or sexual, but we had a second date. And we were at a dive bar. And at one point she was like, okay, so like, what's the deal? Like, are you, and I was like, yeah, I mean, I think you're hot. And like, that's why I'm on a date with you. <laughs> and so she was like, oh, and like her whole body language changed. She's just like, all right. And then she like started to put the moves on me. Like, what did you think I was doing? Like, I'm not <laughs> like how many, and I guess maybe that just speaks to like, they've had negative experiences with people who are like, tourists or whatever. And so they're wary for that reason. But I, that was like really alienating. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I need like years of experience before I can count myself queer with a capital Q. And so that's more of where it comes from. Because as I said, like I've, I'm a pretty pop culture person. So it's not like I've seen every queer movie or like read the essential texts, but I'm right. familiar with them. Like I know what they are and I probably know what like the top references. So I don't feel like at sea in queer spaces, but I do feel this pressure to disclose that I'm like still pretty new in this bizarre yeah. way. Like when I'm hanging out, especially with my fiance's friends, like we went, we went to, um, we were at good Judy on like pride weekend and ended up like, there was like friends of friends and then just kind of randos. It was like this kind of bigger conversation. And, you know, I was fitting in, I was having a good time. Like nobody, I didn't have like a newbie stamp on my head or something, but in my mm -hmm. mind that everybody can tell. And they like would have an 
opinion about it. But obviously they, they don't, they like see me and my fiance and they're like, yeah, a couple of dykes yeah. over here. Like they're not, they're not othering <laughs> me. I'm othering myself. Yeah. yeah. Dang. I'm blushing again. I'm clearly, <laughs> I am like flush talking about this. I, I don't know. Maybe this is a little bit off topic. I don't know how your fiance identifies like queer, bi. They, uh, definitely gay. not bi. Okay. Uh, queer and gay are the words that they use the most. Okay. Um, so they're non-binary, like trans maskish, look presenting, yeah. out gay in high school. Like, um, so, but they're very exclusively attracted to gals like me. Yeah. <laughs> so I was wondering when you were going on dates, did you go on dates with any bi women? Like, did you, I, I do find that, I mean, you know, limited sample size, but I know a lot of bi women who aren't interested in dating other bi women. They're like, oh, no, no, I want to date a lesbian. I like, want a Why? grizzled lesbian. <laughs> they want grizzled lesbians. <laughs> I, I can't remember. I'm sure that I went on dates with other bi women. And I think if I'm not making up a memory that like, in some ways it felt like we were like comparing notes about like, Oh, this is my deal. This is your deal. Like, Oh, there was one early one where I like, it was somebody else who was like very newly out. And so she, like, I was the one that had, like, I had been on like three dates with queer people and she, I was her first queer date sort of thing. And so that very much felt like we were just like doing a little mini support group with each other. I mean, I didn't have a feeling one way or the other that that was my preference, Yeah, but I, can imagine wanting that for the like experience level of just like, I was a little nervous about fucking like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I mean, I do cause it's not that complicated, but like, right. I'm a little nervous and I don't want you to be nervous too. So, so I can understand that. Yeah. Right. Preference for that reason. Yeah. I went after lesbians when I was like figuring out my queerness and not bisexuals. Um, I'm thinking of all the couples I know and there was always I'm I can't off the top of my head think of any like double bisexual. I would couples. say it's because most of the double bisexual couples are hetero pairings. Mm. Right, right. I, Allie and I were two bisexuals when we started out um, <laughs> and then she realized that she had just been using the title. Um, as like Ooh. a stepping stone, yeah, and fi- she finally came out as gay a year or two in, <laughs> giving us a bad name. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, Allie. Right. Um, I can't get over grizzled lesbian. <laughs> I'm just like, uh, I need their fingers calloused and <laughs> hummus stains. Yeah, <laughs> hummus stains. <laughs> Uh, you know yeah we do judge people by their experience and that can be harmful and i say that because i straight up lied to people when i was newly out really yeah oh my god i wish i had the confidence to do that so good on you for being truthful i'm just a morally corrupt person who was like i don't want to deal with this no i've been out for like x years like when i was on the dating apps and i was like totally the first girl i slept with did not know she was the first girl i slept with and i was like i don't want to deal with it so i'm not going to <laughs> i would lie to people see that's so smart carolyn you look so disgusted with me no no i'm not disgusted with you i'm just like i i don't know i mean i i know obviously that there are people out there who do care about experience I don't care at all. Like, I've never cared of whether somebody it was their first experience or like their hundredth. 
like that was it was like, do we have chemistry? Are we into each other? And that's the only thing I care about. So this whole thing, like. Like, like, I don't care if you know the, you know, history of the gay rights movement. I don't care if you have seen heavenly creatures like it doesn't it doesn't matter to me. And it's like, how did this become a thing? But I'm like, I also know that, again, lesbians are kind of responsible for a lot of this, like <laughs> making people feel like they're not queer enough whatever that means because even there are a lot of lesbians who like don't fit the stereotypes or whatever or have like very little experience there are lesbians who have no experience and ideas lesbians so what right. is what is anything it sucks because then i would just ghost people <laughs> and hurt people's feelings and disappear because i'd be like well i can never see that person again i completely lied to them on our foundational first hang up hangouts wow. <laughs> it's bad yeah i mean i guess in that you know lying is bad i don't think that's a harmful lie i i just led with it so much like i in a way that then handicapped anything like it did not have to be the headline and i made it the headline in a way that wasn't great although i just want to brag about that date where you know i said her body language changed and she was like oh okay cool and so i had told her that i had not like i'd like fooled around but i hadn't like had gay sex and so she was basically like so do you do you want to like do that and so she like helped me like get rid of my gay virginity in a in a way a very like friendly way yeah. and like clearly like signed up for that and then it went really well and she was like are you sure this is your first time like and I was like <laughs> okay so that okay. that was very gratifying <laughs> Yes. I mean, yeah, Melody, I don't think that and people might disagree. I don't think that that's necessarily a harmful lie other than the fact that it is a a lie and like you shouldn't start things on a lie. But like, I don't think it's a harmful one to tell. But Janet, to disclose that information up front and to have some people be like, oh, not interested. It's like, good. Get those people out of there. Like They don't deserve you. Right. So, yeah, I'm not. I, again, I, I'm not like filled with yeah. regret or anything, but it definitely, right. it fueled my pre-existing condition of imposter syndrome of like, okay, this is like this newish side. And I feel mostly foolish that it took me this long to figure it out. Like, right. And that, you know, I'm like second guessing all of these things of like, oh, was this always the case? Or is this a change that I, and I was just like too close-minded and I didn't, or like close-minded to myself, or like totally accepting of other gay people, but like didn't right. realize I was part of that category. And I, <laughs> have you, you know, the bathroom at um, Pine Box? Yes. Okay. Yes. I know so well. for those of listeners who are not familiar with this very specific Brooklyn dive bar bathroom, it's covered <laughs> in like pinup, <laughs> photos of yes. like fair breasts, like yes. cartoons and photos. And I used to always get mm-hmm. so uncomfortable in that bathroom. And I've real and I and I would like spin it in my mind of like, oh, this is like so exploitative. And that's why I feel uncomfortable. When really it's like, no, I just like horny for it. Like I am horny for this bathroom. And I love looking yeah. at these pictures and I feel confused about the fact that I love looking at these pictures. That's so funny because when I'm in there, I'm uncomfortable because I'm like, this bathroom was designed to make men want to jerk off. And like how many (laughs) dudes are like in this bathroom, just like jerking off to the wallpaper. I don't know. And I'm like, I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable. It's a gross bathroom for lots of reasons. Um, But I just like, 
think about certain like touchstones for myself that were like, this right. was a clue. <laughs> and right. Didn't pick yeah. up on it until much later. I'm going to think of you every time now. <laughs> oh, thank you. I, I do host an open mic there. <laughs> I'm just going to think about Janet getting horny in the bathroom. Uh, I mean, <laughs> speaking of uh, comedy, and this is like a pretty comedy specific thing, but when you first started getting booked on queer shows, did you feel? I haven't been. You haven't been. No, well, come we're on! Have to give you that opportunity to feel queer imposter syndrome on our show. <laughs> yes, you're on the next Stonewall yes. show. Let's go! Because that was part of the thing. Like I felt like I can't like come out on a Tuesday and then start asking for spots on queer shows on a Thursday. And so I just like never put myself forth. And I think that there's still maybe a fair amount of people that don't necessarily know me as a queer comic, right? Um, or a queer person. And so I've just been like. I don't know, like the queer comedy scene is like so fucking cool. Like all the hot new, con- like the, the ascendant comedy scene is queer comedy in a way that is awesome. And I'm very excited about, but it's also super intimidating where it's like, yeah, I'm not, I like all those people and I know many of them, but like, I'm not part of that crew. And so I'm like, I don't know how to get booked on gay shows. So like book, the book gay me shows? on the gay shows, any gay show. Yeah. I, yeah. you know, so that's, uh, <sighs> yeah, I, ha- I don't know what those shows are like. Maybe more relatable for the masses is when there is a celebrity who's out and then people speculate and are like, oh, it's just for attention. It's just for that. And then I feel like bisexuals or recently out queer people don't want to be seen as that. And I think that there's a real like paranoia about being viewed as a tourist, as a fraud, as whatever, and then having something to prove, which is just such a unhealthy and not fun place to be in so yeah yeah and I think there's also something for to be said for like queer women who do end up in heterosexual pairings that like I have a lot of my like personal friends not comedians that you know either had queer relationships when they were younger just like always kind of felt that way but then fell in love with and married men and never had the time to like really explore that and for them to like decide whether or not to identify openly as queer is sort of like a question, you know, like, should I join this like queer professional group when I'm married to a man that I've been with for 15 years? Yeah. We have a lot of listeners in that category. And so I, I, again, in this weird way, I'm like, once I came out and I was, you know, I've always wanted to like find a person, settle down and get married. Like that has always been something I've wanted. And I was very single for a long time and had, you know, settled myself. Like maybe I won't find that and that's fine. And I can be independent and all of that, but that's always what I wanted. And I sort of had this period of time of fear. I'm like, Oh God, I've just realized this. Like, what if I fall in love with a man? Like, what if I fall in love with a man? Like next month after I just realized this and I like never get the time to explore this, like that would suck. Um, and so yeah. I do feel a little smug that I fell in love with a queer person and now I'm like getting gay married, but like, what does that <laughs> even mean? Like, Oh, that, you know, I'm a, those memes of like straight bisexual versus gay bisexual. I'm like, Oh, I landed on the gay side. Lucky me. Right. Oh man. <laughs> but like, what does that mean? Why does that, why, you know, that vin- I feel like vindicated in some way. Right. Um, but that's bizarre. I, I maybe, I don't know. It's... Maybe it's very relatable to people, but maybe it's yeah, bizarre. for sure. Oh, definitely. We got emails that are 
very similar. We what we got an email from someone or a message saying they like really wanted to buy one of our shirts from the shop that said mind your heterosexual business. And she's like, can I get this? Like I'm married to a man though. Like I'm bi. It's like, well, then you're not heterosexual. Right. And <laughs> like what? It's okay. Right. Yeah. That uh, I, I feel for that group of bisexual people the most because I, it's like they almost like carry this shame and they're very apologetic. Sure. Like, you don't have to apologize for loving a man. Love is love. Right. Even if Here we are saying like love is love, you know, and then they're like, I'm so like, I wish I, I wish I didn't. Uh, I like would rather be with a woman. I'm like, wouldn't you rather just be with someone that you love and that you have like a healthy, great relationship right. with regardless right. of gender? Also, at the end of the day, you wouldn't rather be with a woman or else you would be like, if that was really a moral priority for you. Like you, you can choose. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's a very strange, like there's some like feminist element of like, well, obviously men are bad, so we shouldn't be with them or whatever. Like it's just, yeah. it, there's so many layers of like shame and and like what you should do or shouldn't do that are very convoluted. Yeah. Ugh, the gatekeeping. When did you feel your queer imposter syndrome? It sounds like it hasn't ever like gone away completely, but when did you notice like a shift or has it gone away completely? I I wouldn't say it's gone away completely, but it's not something that I'm like, preoccupied by or like spend a lot of time thinking but did it take having to be like engaged to a queer person? Uh, yes I would say that like being my current relationship very much was like okay like no one can argue yeah that, that, that I'm like very gay right now yes like, right. This is straightforwardly <laughs> incredibly gay we walked down the streets together and our neighborhood's super gay which is like great there's just like which I didn't realize until we moved, we live in Crown Heights. And I like, didn't know that about our particular area of Crown Heights, like a lot of gay couples. So it's like very much queer gentrification. So like that's complicated, but uh, it feels nice to like walk down the street and there's like a lot of couples that either, whether they look like us or not, there's like, you know, a lot of a vast gender spectrum on display and that's nice. Um, so I definitely, and also just like more time has passed. So I don't feel as new anymore. And you know, it's just like, I am more comfortable in my like queer skin as it were. So it's not something I like worry about anymore, but it, I do find myself every once in a while, sort of like, like checking in with my partner about like, okay, I had this thought, like, can I say this? Which is like a very bizarre thing. Like I'm a comedian, they are not. So I think like maybe more scandalous jokes or like ridiculous things. And, you know, I still feel like, ah, I, can I can I say that? Am I allowed to say that? Right. And that like that is how I experience it now. Yeah. And I second guess myself mm. a fair amount. Well, it doesn't help that our community really eats its own in that if you say something <laughs> that one person thinks is slightly wrong, then the pile on like they will shame you for it. They will make you feel like you've done real harm. Um, you know. Yeah. And real, real harm. harm. Uh. <laughs> As opposed to calling a joke. Right. <laughs> Never it, I was gonna say, this doesn't seem like any specific reference at all. Yeah. Melody <laughs> is triggered in 19 ways right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> no, but but that can that can make people, I think, feel like a little bit hesitant about, you know, expressing their queerness, maybe because it's like, am I doing this in the wrong way? This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. Let me talk about it. And then it's like, you can't talk about it that way. Like, it, right. this is why you're problematic. And then you're like, OK, maybe I just like shut up and stick to talking about, you know knitting or whatever um gay ariana grande can't even come out as bi without <laughs> ariana grande's bi <laughs> the, she had a lyric in one of her songs oh, right. uh, a couple years ago where she was like i think it's just i like women and men i think that is just the lyric um and a lot of people started to pile on gatekeep accuser of queer baiting Mm. um and like there must be an ulterior motive it must be for clout uh promotion yeah queer baiting um and a lot of like gay activists at the time were saying that it's because people and even queer people have like this huge desire to write simple narratives um and that people with identities that are always changing or who don't choose to go by an identity at all are met with like some backlash or anxiety of their own because they can't fit into a neat category and so because of that they're not understood so then they're pigeonholed and then it's chalked up to queer baiting and it's just there's the simplified stamp on it so <laughs> Ariana Grande has it so hard, and <laughs> <laughs> I think we should be thinking about her specifically. <laughs> I like also subscribe to the idea that, like, I do think everybody is bi. Like, I do think that, like, the vast majority of the spectrum is like really everybody's mostly kind of some degree bi, and then the polls are like the more rare, but people close themselves off to it. Yeah, I subscribe to that thinking. And then we had a guest come on and say that. That's harmful. That is to harmful. The bisexual community. Because if everyone's bi, then no one's bi. But oh, I'm I with think. you. It is a huge spectrum. And at this point, straight people should be coming out as straight. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I guess that argument makes some sense to me. But I guess that like categories can be harmful. So like we are creating all these boxes and like some people really love their boxes and other people really resent the boxes available. They want to build new boxes, but really they don't want to build any box. And so like there are both too many and not enough labels for every identity. And so I just mean that like, I think, you know, anthropologically, biologically, whatever, like as a species, I think that that is sort of like, there's a lot of ways to love. And like, to me, it makes sense that like everybody kind of has that capacity but like we're so socialized to not see the clues and I'm just speaking from my own personal experience like fully like very equal like very bisexual (laughs) in the way that it's like I really feel like I am like a 50 50 equal opportunity any gender like I, I find people really hot of every gender identity and also not hot like I don't think everybody's hot but that I just like truly did not I had blinders on to it for so long because I was just like well I don't like dream of eating pussy so that must mean I am not sexually attracted to women and then I'm what's like, that like to not have those dreams 
<laughs> then I realized like, oh, wait, like I just like, you know, I am not someone who dreams of genitals in general. Like they're all pretty gross as far as I'm concerned. And like you learn, you build a, you know, appreciation for things, but yeah, that's, I didn't mean to repeat harmful ideology. I'm sorry. Oh no, I, I agree. <laughs> no, with I know. You. I was being a smart I ass. I was being a smart saying, ass. Okay. 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 <laughs> but isn't it crazy that bisexual people do make up a li- it's over 50% of the lgbtqia right. community yes. but we're the ones who are just like the most invisible i was waiting to drop that statistic and a little oh. resentful that you beat me to the punch but you know dang we got it that's the thing like there are so many bisexuals out there obviously like that just to me it like makes sense that it's a broader yeah. category do you feel like there's a way to use imposter syndrome to our benefit and like using those feelings as an opportunity to reflect on why we feel certain ways. Ooh. And then that'll only bring us to this like higher sense of self discovery, belonging, like uniqueness, which in itself is very gay. What a leading question. <laughs> I was going to say that's an incredibly leading question, but I really like it. You're um, a leading witness, Melody. <laughs> I know. <laughs> If it like in the way that it's made me like more thoughtful or more careful about things that like not, you know, I don't want to just like think, okay, I've experienced something. So this is like a universal truth. And like, I know everything Um, and being careful with your, with your words and deeds, I think is not a bad thing. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think it's just like also learning to trust in yourself is, you know, imposter syndrome is not a thing I've dealt with professionally. And I think that that's sort of like, it is, that is, you know, it's, it's a cliche that like women, especially experience imposter syndrome, like all the time for all sorts of reasons. And that we, you know, we need to teach ourselves to, to get rid of it and be, you know, be confident in all these things. And for me, it was, I learned, I feel like I learned early on that like, oh, all adults are making it up as they go along all the time. So if you get an opportunity, you deserve that opportunity, unless it's like extreme nepotism. Right, like right. if you got an opportunity, like you're probably qualified for it or you'll figure it out. Like that's just how it goes. Yeah. And so I've not really struggled with imposter syndrome that much. So it was sort of like to feel it in this realm was interesting because yeah. I'm like, I don't have the tools of how to talk myself out of it or like pump myself up. And so I've like kind of used my relationship to be like, all right, I like have my credentials, so I can I can end this this cycle. But um, your question was so long that I a little bit lost the thread of what I'm supposed to be. You know what? But it was me trying to reclaim <laughs> queer imposter syndrome. <laughs> should we just say, should we rename it bisexual imposter syndrome? Is that what we've discovered? Is it what it is? <laughs> <laughs> probably but there's lesbian imposter syndrome go off carolyn go off i was gonna say well i not to put her on blast but past guest in front of the pod just rothschild always says that she feels like an imposter because she's not necessarily into lesbian culture she doesn't like going to lesbian bars. she is very into gay man culture she mm-hmm. loves all the stereotypical stuff that gay men like, and that's more her thing. And that's where she feels more comfortable. So she's like, I'm not comfortable in like lesbian spaces. And I feel like that hurts me. And, you know, I'm like, it, do- no, it, sh- it shouldn't. And she identifies like lesbian, 
hard L, you know, has been out for a while. <laughs> Capital has L. been married to a woman, yeah. you know, and to for her to be like, oh, I feel like I'm not lesbian enough. It's like, well, then doesn't that just tell us that it's a stupid standard that nobody should be held sure. to? Well, just like the the boxing out of like, okay, well, gay culture is this right. and lesbian culture is this. And then that can we know, all like, do poppers? Bisexual culture. Yeah. Right. Like right. So I think that, you know, I, I love poppers. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think that that's slowly starting to happen where like, there's a little bit more of like, you know, now there are more, there are queer spaces that are more expansive, but it's still, we have these identity labels. And I think that that's part of why, like, there's fewer people that want to identify with the term lesbian, maybe because it's like, doesn't feel like the right fit based on what they think it means. And so, right. I don't know. We're all imposters, but none of us are. Do you have any advice to any of our listeners who are feeling queer imposter syndrome and who are like, how do I get over it? Other than getting engaged, get engaged, to get engaged to, uh, no, I lock it in. I mean, the same way that you would for regular or, you know, more standard imposter syndrome of just like, you know, your own experience, you know, your own truth. Nobody else can tell you that. So like, if you think you're gay, you are right. <laughs> like, that's, that's how it yeah, works. And it, it doesn't matter if you've fucked a hundred people or no people. Like if you feel that way, then you are that way. And that doesn't mean any particular thing. So right. like, you don't have to measure yourself against a gatekeeping keeping standard. You just don't want to hang out with those people who are trying to exclude you from the gay club. Yeah. It's an internal identity like it's like it's not for you to peacock for like it's it's not it does not being queer doesn't hinge on your experience your whether or not you've been hate crimes whether or not you've read violence (laughs) discrimination any of that it is just like how you feel and that means that can change too like it changes with you Okay. I mean, would it be helpful if I started a service where people could pay for like a five minute conversation with me where I validate your queerness? Absolutely. You think that I feel like you have people like, lining up. Is, is this my uh, jars of farts? Um, <laughs> Google it if you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, You'll figure it out right away. Google jar- farts and jars. If you had like postcards that just said like total dyke that you could hand to people yeah. and then they'd be like, okay, yeah. make I am queerness an NFT that people can buy. Mm. Is that what an NFT is? <laughs> Did I use it right in the sentence? Still unclear, but it feels right. It feels right. Okay. <laughs> Janet, thank you so much for uh, tolerating us today. Uh <laughs> I feel honored and thrilled uh, and validated to have been part of this conversation. Yes. Where can people follow you on the socials? Oh, if people want to see a lot about wedding planning um, coming up the next year, you should follow me on Instagram at Janet underscore Hyde, H-Y-D-E. Can we quickly Um, talk about the engagement ring? Because I was blowing my mind. I 100% know that's why I was booked this week and not in any way that I was offended by. I, I, I was like, okay, I, I see what's happening here. We saw what's it. extra funny to me is this is the second I've posted the ring before, but this time it really took off. <laughs> my DMs were lighting up. Yeah, I was going to say this week. I remember seeing yeah. it. What? So my, or fa- my fiance, Marnie, I can name them. Um, 
created this gorgeous custom unique ring for me based like from materials of like heirloom jewelry from my, it's got my three, my grandmother and two great grandmothers wedding bands. It's gold from another ring of their grandmothers, a gold mm. from a pendant of my mom's and that it's a jade stone that was their mother's earrings from their grandmother. So it's like all, every single piece of it is from something else. Um, and the jeweler posted the like behind the scenes photos of like all the different things in the little melting pot yes. and then the like post of gold that it created. Um, so here I'll, I'll show it to you on the screen. You can see. Um, oh my God. So it's chills. It's really, it. really cool. And it was supposed to, it's on my middle finger because it's a, was a little bit big and we were thinking about getting it resized. And like, and then my colleague, like gay coworker was like, is that like a middle finger to the patriarchy? And like, you know what? Now it is. <laughs> that's, uh, that's what I was just going to say. It is yeah, now. Like, very queer. Who said very that it has queer. to be on my ring finger? This Female comedian with tits is giving the middle finger to the patriarchy. We love it. To the penis patriarchy. (laughs) Yeah, that's the headline. Um, But yeah, so it's a very special ring and I'm obsessed with it. And so, yeah, my personality is just like engaged person. But that's where I am on the internet at Janet underscore Hyde on Instagram. Here for it. it. Give it a And come to come to Tip Top on Thursdays, Thursdays at 830 when do you start uh, back not up? Not in January. Or do we not know? Uh, hopefully, okay. hopefully February. Okay. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Best vibes, best divey bar. Like the, there's a community that yes. hangs out there. Like you feel like you're walking into a living yes. room. It's very yeah. cheers. Yes. Um, I love cheers it. Cheers is like your grandma's basement. Yes. It does yeah. feel like a basement Absolutely. in Chicago. Yeah. I know. That's why <laughs> I love it so much. I think it really reminds me yeah. of Chicago. Yeah. That bar. Love it. All right. Janet, thanks so much. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, Janet. You know we'll plug it later, but make sure that you are following us on Instagram if you want to see that ring that we were just talking about. We're going to post some pictures of it on Instagram later this week. All right. So this week, I believe we actually have two listener questions. Yes. Let's start with this one. It's a bit shorter. Do you all ever go back and listen to old episodes for a good laugh or see how you've grown? If so, do you have a favorite or one you absolutely hate? Mm. No. No. No, I don't go back and listen. (laughs) I don't. I'm going to be going back and listening on this era in general. I mean, I I don't want to. It's I had to jump in at the start of the pandemic. Didn't know how to podcast. Have learned over Zoom. I'm sure it's all very cringe, especially at the beginning. I can't, you know, started off this episode saying I cannot listen to myself. Okay. (laughs) I can't do it. Yeah. I mean, one, I don't have time for it. Two, when, uh, you know, I used to edit the podcast, but even now I will QC it before it goes out. So not only am I present for the conversation, but then I always listen to it again. So to listen do it a, a, a third time unless it's like really something specific that I'm like, oh, wait, what did I say then? I know there's a billion things that I said that I regret uh, that <laughs> maybe I shouldn't have talked about. And, uh, you know, I was going through a very different time when we started the podcast. I was still um, angry about my divorce. Some of you remember that <laughs> made, um, you know, some bitter comments and stuff that now I'm like, oof. Carolyn, 
you should have been in therapy then. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. I'm happy for everybody who does listen. And that's just not something I'm looking ahead. I'm looking ahead. Yes. Uh, and we have two questions because we are prepared to answer this one. But then a question came in from a patron as we were recording. So, you know what that uh, means? Goes to the top. Top. Let's go. Let's tackle it. This one comes from a bike. I just want to say we love our bikes, especially on this app. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot lately about trying to do stand-up comedy as a hobby and was wondering if you had any tips that you'd be willing to share about getting started slash writing jokes and sets. Great, great, great. Great, great, great. People uh, shit on classes a lot. Like taking a stand-up class. I I don't hate it. I mean, I took one. If you don't come from a performing background uh, or if you just want to like get into the nitty gritty on joke structure. I definitely support you taking a class. Someone recently tagged me and some other comedians being like, and this is someone who's historically talked shit about comics who have taken classes, but they're like, I have to go back on what I said. There are so many good comedians who have taken classes. For example, (laughs) Melody Kamali, Sydney Washington, like, and they just started Ah. listing like good comics, myself included, but like, yeah, no shame. So many great comics have taken a class. The point people try to make, I think, when they shit on comedy classes is that a lot of people do that and only that and don't throughout the course or either immediately after go up and actually do it. Um, So, yeah, you just have to go to an, an open mic. You just have to try it. Do it. Right. Right. I won't say that I've shit on courses, but I've always said you don't have to take a course. No. That you can learn just by going. But if, again, I I didn't take a course, but I did take a hell of a lot of improv and sketch courses through UCB. I took courses for everything else. So maybe if I hadn't had those courses and just wanted to do stand-up for the first time, I may have signed up for a course. And I know people who went through courses and people I did improv with who went to courses and you leave the course with your first like five minutes of material. They get you comfortable on stage. They answer all the questions that if you're feeling like nervous or embarrassed or like, I don't know how to do this. Or if you don't know any other comedians in your life, like when I started doing stand up comedy, I already had a lot of friends who were stand up comedians. So they're like, Oh yeah, you know, come to this mic with me. And then I'll, you know, you'll, you'll figure it out pretty fast. But if, if you're just looking to do it as a hobby and stuff, take a class in terms of getting started and writing jokes and sets, like what you could do in the meantime. And what I do, uh, a lot of stuff comes to me when in two ways, when I'm walking around and an idea will just pop into my head and then I just take out my phone and I record um, a voice memo of whatever that train of thought is, and then I'll revisit it and then write it into a fully fleshed out joke to try out at an open mic later. The other one is when I go to other comedy shows, it will like trigger thoughts and ideas and things like that, that I'm like, oh. Yeah, go to mics and shows even if you're not going up. Yeah, just watching other people do comedy can sometimes get your comedy brain going because sometimes... People tell a joke and I'd be like, oh, 
I would have gone a different way on that. Not that I'm going to like take that joke and go the different way on it. But then that gets me thinking like, oh, wait, okay, the way I'm thinking about this thing could be applied to that thing. Maybe I do a joke about that. Or maybe somebody just like brushes over something that sparks an idea that's, you know, maybe somewhere on the same topic and be like, oh, I have a unique POV on this. Um, I'm going to go home and, and write something about it, you know? So those, there's no shame in that. Yeah. That that's how I get my ideas for the most part. And then I just sit down, I have everything, uh, in a bunch of Google docs and then, um, write it or I'll write it in a, a notebook with pen and paper, different styles, and then going yeah. to, to open mics and trying it out and seeing if it works. You have to bomb. And that's what Speak stops a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, please. Um, you have to bomb and people are afraid of that. It sucks. It's a horrible feeling, but feeling. you just have to be okay with bombing for your yeah. first year and just getting past that. Also, Evernote is really good. A lot of people use that. Yeah. For keeping track of ideas because you can tag notes. And so like you can have an idea that eventually when you are able to get to like a five, 10 minute set or more you can start linking those ideas and then just coming up with transitions another good writing tool is writing a joke map if you just search idea web and go to the images um that's a good tool for when you're starting out and like just writing like just even before you come up with the joke things you know you want to talk about in your act that interest you or like get you feeling any kind of emotion you write the idea in these circles that are all connected by lines and then the line can be like the feeling like what feeling connects like it's how you can start comparing ideas that's what a lot of comedy is you know um i'm all for idea webs I also feel like there are some improv exercises that lend themselves to stand up like i remember one warm-up we used to do in class was um, where you would just go up and start ranting about something. That was in my stand-up class one of ah, the days. Okay. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, I do say I benefited from it, but I never did the homework, but I was going to open mics because I was friends with comics. And I think for me as a Capricorn, it's like I will do stand-up now because I paid a couple hundred dollars for this. <laughs> and also Cameron Esposito was teaching it. And I was like, I just want to... Meet Cameron Esposito. Um, yeah. <laughs> but. And look at you now. Look at me now interviewing her. Maybe I'll listen to that one someday. Um, yeah. That episode. But yeah, it was like one day we're going to do comparison jokes. One day we're going to do this type of jokes. And then one week was primarily dedicated to rants, which yeah. is a legitimate art form. Because <laughs> that helps you tap into the emotion behind the ideas you're having. Exactly. When if you have if you feel strong enough about something to rant about it, that means that you have a perspective. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the most important things to have in comedy. So I think we yeah. just gave a lot of great advice. Oh, my God. Should we teach a class? Should we put it in a jar and sell it as an NFT? <laughs> <laughs> Again, if you want to understand what that means, sign up at patreon.com slash out. <laughs> 
Also, you can send your questions to dykingout at gmail.com. Follow us on social media at Diking Out on Instagram. We have a Facebook page. We have a, a Twitter that's been a little sleepy because for my mental health, I've been not going on Twitter as much. And uh, we have a TikTok. Uh, and yeah. you can follow me <laughs> at TGI Carolyn. You can follow me on all the things at Melody Kamali. Thanks so much for Diking Out with us today. We love you so much. We'll see you next Tuesday. How about that? What if you discovered you could move between the worlds of dreams and real life? That's the story of Dream Breachers, where Evan wakes up on his 12th birthday and realizes that something he dreamt about the night before had actually happened. With the help of his friends, a reappearing stranger, and a mysterious organization called the Dream Academy, Evan will discover what it means to be a dream breacher. Dream Breachers is a high-stakes sci-fi mystery adventure about the highs and lows of having all your dreams come true and is perfect for kids ages 8 to 12. If that sounds like a dream to you, you're in luck. You can listen to Dream Breachers now, wherever you get your podcasts.